The question before us from our gospel reading tonight is one of staying awake. Staying awake. Three times in the text, the short text that we read from Mark 13, Jesus urges us to stay awake. And once he says, be on your guard. Similar kind of exhortation. And these come after Jesus speaks about significant world-altering future events, which include his own coming again. And during Advent, we focus, rightly, upon the reality of Jesus coming again. This is our great hope as the church. That with Jesus' coming will come a day of great judgment and mercy. The renewal of all things. The final consummation of the better world that we've been longing for. The end of evil, sin, and death. And all those things that bring us sorrow. On that day when Jesus comes, he'll set the dividing line between good and evil. And and once and for all, rid his world of evil, of all that works against his purposes. In the Advent Collect that we prayed tonight, that we encourage you to pray every day during the, the 25 days of Advent ahead of us, we affirm this, remembering that on the last day, Jesus will come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead. So Advent is a season of hope, it's a season of waiting, it's a season of expectancy. It's a season of preparation and of readiness for this assured coming of Jesus again to earth. And the call that we're hearing loudly and clearly in, from Jesus in Mark 13 tonight is the call as the church to stay awake prior to his coming. To stay awake. So the question then that we're going to consider tonight that kind of overhangs this whole message is, are you awake? Are you on guard? Or have you fallen asleep? Are you awake? Are you on guard? Or have you fallen asleep? So as we look at this, I want to do three things. First, I want to talk about what staying awake really means. And then second, why the exhortation to stay awake is given at all from Jesus. And then thirdly, some practical, I hope practical advice on how we might stay awake. So that's where we're headed. So first, what does staying awake really mean? Jesus says it three times, stay awake. And the answer is given to us quite clearly in this little parable that Jesus tells us from verses 34 to 36 of Mark 13 about a man going on a journey. The man puts servants in charge and then he tells the doorkeeper to stay awake and then he goes on his journey. So the surface reading of that little parable suggests that staying awake is physical. It literally means staying awake, which it does for the doorkeeper. But the deeper meaning is also readily apparent in this little story. Both the servants and the doorkeeper have been given a task from the master. It says that each one was given his work. The work of the doorkeeper was to stay awake, but the work of the other servants was certainly to do other things. And to to what it means to stay awake then is to do the work that the master has given us. It means carrying out the master's will. Or in this wonderful phrase that we get from the New Testament in Romans 1, it means the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. In our Essentials course at Church of the Cross, we go to this passage, the next chapter in Mark's Gospel, to chapter 14, and we look at the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane to see there the paradigm for Christian discipleship. If you've been to Essentials, you know what I'm about to say. So there Jesus prays this prayer, the prayer of a Christian disciple, which is not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. It's a renunciation of self-will 
and the embrace of the Father's will that actually defines the life of a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to stay awake. In the parable, the servants and the doorkeeper knew the will of their master. And living by that will, fulfilling their duties and their work as stewards of the master is what is required. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, And what is required of a steward is that they be found trustworthy or faithful. In Mark 13, Jesus undermines any notion of selective obedience. That is, obedience only when it feels good, or obedience only when others are watching, or only when it fits my schedule, or only when it doesn't cost me too much, or only when it will build my reputation, and so on and so forth. The uncertainty of the time of the master's return, which hangs over the whole little parable that he tells, means that the servants and the doorkeeper must be in a state of perpetual readiness. That is, Jesus might return on Sunday night while you're in a worship service surrounded by other Christians, But he might also just as easily return at midnight on a Friday when you're sitting alone in front of a computer or out with friends or alone with your girlfriend. To stay awake means at every moment, everywhere that you are, you're fulfilling his will. So second then, why is the exhortation given to stay awake? And there are two reasons in this short text. One is implicit and the other is explicit. First, on the implicit reason. It's because the default, the normal and natural trajectory of things is to fall asleep. Even in situations where we have all the incentive in the world to not fall asleep, like when we're driving, for example, we still have a really hard time doing so. That's how strong this pull to sleep actually is. Not to fall asleep in our world requires vigilance. It requires acts of resistance, of striving, of effort, and of fight. Just think about all the crazy ways that we try to stay stay awake behind the wheel. Loading up on caffeine, hitting ourselves in the face, using our hands to keep our eyelids up, shouting, stopping on the side of the road, running around the car a few times, and so on. I hope I'm not the only one who's ever done those things. It takes great effort to keep ourselves awake. So Jesus exhorts us to stay awake because he knows that the natural and normal trajectory of our world is toward self-will and not toward the Father's will. He knows that we will be tempted. He knows that our love may grow cold. He knows that we're prone to getting caught up in the cares and anxieties and worries of this life. He knows that money and education may capture our hearts and become the grounding place or the foundation for our identities. He knows that we cannot serve two masters, both God and money. He knows that we're prone to do the easy and satisfying thing that we want to do and not the hard and self-denying thing that the Father wants us to do. He knows our passions and desires will at times feel far too strong for us to overcome. He knows that we'll sometimes find the path of withholding forgiveness and taking revenge to be the only option available. He knows that anger will take residence in our hearts and soon be used to justify all sorts of actions and behavior. He knows that we're afraid and that when we're afraid, we'll often grab the first and easiest and most comforting thing that comes along to comfort us and to set us at ease, however unholy that thing may be. 
Jesus knows, as he says in Mark 14, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And because he knows all of this about you and about me, because he knows the natural trajectory is towards self-will and not the Father's will, he exhorts us to stay awake, to be on guard. That's the implicit reason for the exhortation. The explicit reason that he gives in this text is because we don't know when the master is coming back. That's stated in relation to Jesus in verse 32 and in relation to the master in the parable that he tells in verse 35. Therefore stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. We don't want to be caught sleeping, Jesus says, when the master comes. So stay awake. Now, why would it be so bad to be caught sleeping? First, it would be embarrassing. So much has been given to us. So much has been entrusted to us. So much grace has been poured out into us. So much love has been shown to us. Are we to return our thanks for all that's been given by falling asleep on the job? By no means. By no means. But it goes beyond embarrassment. Falling asleep but also reveals something about our own hearts. That they're not fully with the master. They're given over to other things. Whether because of weakness or because of outright rebellion in our lives. Our falling asleep reveals a lack of love. Of allegiance. And of faithfulness to our master. And these we know from elsewhere where Jesus tells similar stories to the shorter one he tells here in Luke 12 and Matthew 24. Lead to punishment and to rebuke and even to harsh judgment when the master returns. And this is a situation that Jesus wants us to avoid. So he urges us, stay awake. Stay awake. So third and finally, how can we stay awake? (laughs) It's not drink coffee. How can we stay awake? The advice that I want to suggest tonight is actually by recognizing when we start to fall asleep. By recognizing where we're falling asleep. And I want to say three things. We could go on for and say 30, but I just want to give three. Three signs of falling asleep in our lives. The first one is the absence of conflict or struggle. If we're to stay awake in a sleepy world, if we're to obey Jesus in a world that rebels against him, we will surely feel and experience the reality of the conflict that exists between Jesus and the world in our own lives. Which is to say that if there is no struggle, if there's no struggle in our lives, then there is probably no obedience. Or perhaps we could say if there's little struggle, then there's probably little obedience. If we're not feeling in some ways at odds or as as misfits in the world that we inhabit around us, then we're probably falling asleep. James says it like this, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads 
to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That is, this way is hard. Staying awake, as we have seen, requires substantial effort and struggle against the natural flow and tendency of things in our world. The Christian life is described as a battle and as a fight for good reason. We have an enemy, Peter says, that prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the question is, do we feel the conflict? Do we wrestle in our own souls? Are we taking every thought captive? Is there a struggle in our life? Are we taking up the scriptures and the disciplines of prayer to be nourished in the midst of the battle? These are signs of fighting. And these then are signs that we're awake and that we're staying awake. There's a story told about one of the desert fathers from the fourth century whose name was Abba John the Dwarf. Uh, And it says this, it said he had prayed to God to take his passions away from him so that he might be free from care. And then he went and told an old man this, I find myself in peace without an enemy. The old man said to him, go beseech God to stir up warfare so that you may regain the affliction and humility that you used to have. For it is by warfare that the soul makes progress. So he besought God, and when the warfare came, he no longer prayed that it might be taken away, but said instead, Lord, give me the strength for this fight. For it is by warfare that the soul makes progress. If there is no warfare, if there is no struggle, if there is no conflict, then the question is, can there be progress? If all is well, then we may be asleep. The second is the absence of self-denial. The question, are we denying ourselves anything that we desire? The road of obedience, the road of being awake requires self-denial. Jesus said that to follow him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. He also said, this is hyperbole, but he said it, we must hate our father and mother, our wife and children, our brothers and sisters. Yes, he says, even our own life, if we want to be his disciple. Does Jesus infringe in any way upon our sleep, our wallet, our relationships, our appetites, leading us to forgo something that we want or desire in order to follow him more faithfully. That's the only path, Jesus says, of discipleship. That's part of the hard and narrow way. If we're not telling ourselves no somewhat regularly, then we are likely asleep. The world says to us, embrace and indulge your passions and desires. They're a part of you. In many ways, they are you. But the way of Christ, the way of the Messiah, is to chasten, to deny, and to ultimately redirect our desires to the one for whom we were made. We have the opportunity to practice that in some small ways during the Advent season, by fasting, by skipping a lunch from time to time, by foregoing some spending during these three and a half weeks and giving generously 
to others. We'll take up a special offering at our Lessons and Carol service on December 14th. Admittedly, these are small acts of self-denial. But they're not insignificant, especially in an overindulgent age in which we find ourselves. And they can often lead us to greater acts of obedience, to greater levels of being awake in the midst of this world. The third and final sign of sleepiness that I want to give you is the inability to receive or to seek out rebuke. If we can't listen to advice from an elder or a parent or a counselor or a pastor or a friend or a colleague, then it's quite likely that we have fallen asleep or that we will fall asleep shortly. Receiving counsel and rebuke is a deeply necessary part of the Christian life. Proverbs 9 says that if you rebuke a wise man, he will love you. But if you rebuke a scoffer, he will hate you. Fools love to express their own opinion, the Proverbs say, and only like to listen to themselves or to those who agree with them. The 6th century Greek monk and abbot Dorotheus of Gaza said this. He said, I know of no other way in which a person can fall other than by trusting in his own heart. Some people say that a person falls for this or that reason. I, however, as I said, have never seen another kind of fall that is not caused by this. Have you seen somebody fall? Know that he trusted himself. There is nothing more serious than to trust yourself. Nothing more pernicious. The way of being awake is the way of being highly suspicious of your own opinions. Seek counsel. Seek wisdom in the scriptures above all, but also in the tradition and from those who have gone before you. Get to know others, perhaps in a triad or in a neighborhood group, and invite them to speak honestly into your life. That kind of conversation is far too rare in the midst of the people of God and should be far more common than it actually is. And people obviously are very reticent to give this kind of input into our lives. Therefore, we should be more countercultural and go and invite it and ask for it and seek it in our lives as a means of being woken up. Now, let me say in conclusion, lest I've discouraged any of you by the challenges that I've laid out here about staying awake. Let me say of those of you who want to heed Jesus' call, to stay awake, that there is plenty of help to be found on this hard road. Grace is in abundant supply before our loving Father. God is not stingy. And for those hungering and thirsting for righteousness, there is an abundance of strengthening to be given to you and to me in the midst of this battle and warfare. He doesn't withhold it, but he loves to give it to those who come asking and freely asking him to give this help. So do you feel sleepy? Do you feel too much at ease? Ask God for help. And you won't find him wanting in any way, shape, or form. Pray this prayer daily during Advent. Give us grace to cast away the works of darkness. And to put on the armor of light. 
There's abundant wells of grace to be given and strengthening and empowerment to be given that we might actually engage the conflict, that we might deny ourselves, that we might listen to counsel and rebuke and grow in our ability to be alert and on guard. God wants to give that greatly. And finally, if any of you are wondering if it's actually just too much and too hard and too costly, why in the world then would I want to stay awake? Why should I pursue something like this so so painfully in my life? Then here's the thought I want to leave you with tonight. I want you to consider what joys it will be on the day of Jesus' return that we proclaim and that we celebrate this Advent season when he finds you wide awake, bloody from the battle, yearning for him, doing your master's will. On the day that Jesus returns, all the values of our world would be turned upside down. And the things that people say today are so wonderful and so important and so worth our effort and our time and the expense of our lives to gain. Those things will be shown to be empty and worth little that we gave them. Wealth, property, popularity, power, pleasure... These things will matter very little. But what reward there will be for those on that day who have fought the good fight and who have finished the race by the grace of God. Those who for Jesus' sake have been despised, left out, forsaken by the gods of this world will find the crown of righteousness awaiting them to be awarded to them on that day. And I want to say to you that this is worth everything. That every little ounce of effort that you have to shed in this fight. Every little bit that you have to deny yourself something that you'd rather desire or that you think that you want. Every little bit that you're rebuked and that you receive the truth of God by whatever means that it comes. Every little ounce that you move in the right direction after Jesus will be shown on that day to, be, to have been far worth it. Worth far more than any little effort or anything that it costs you. On this side of Jesus' return. On that day. That great day. We will not wish. That we had spent any extra time. Pursuing the gods of this age. We will not wish that we had spent any extra time. Seeking to earn the glory. Or the praises of this world we will only regret not having given more not having loved more not having denied ourselves more and I don't mean regret in that it spoils that day but I mean in that we'll see what we only glimpse now and how true and how beautiful and how full the life of God actually is living for Jesus' sake, is worth it. And I want to say that it's never, ever, ever too late to wake up. It's never too late to wake up. Our God waits. And Peter tells us that he waits and he delays and he tarries so that many more might be awoken and come to life. It's never too late 
If you're spending a lot of your life right now to snuggle up with the world, it's never too late to turn the other way. It's never too late to to receive the Father's embrace. It's never too late to hear his love pronounced over you. It's never too late to begin to walk in any situation in which you've been going down the wrong path. It's never too late to turn around. Thanks be to God. And to be made awake and alive. That on that day when Jesus comes, you might hear those words, well done good and faithful servant. You stayed awake. You fought the fight. You finished the race. Amen.